to Jonah chapter 1, Jonah chapter 1. And then we're going to look at verses uh, 7 through 11 this evening. And the topic is Jonah loses his testimony. Jonah loses his testimony. Let's begin with verse 7 as we start our study this evening. It says, And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots, that we may know for whose cause this trouble has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. When we last left, Jonah was on the ship to Tarshish. A terrible storm came up, a severe storm, and all these sailors' life was in danger. The ship was in danger of busting up, and and so these sailors just wanted to know why and what was going on. So in verse 7, they got together, they cast lots, and they wanted to know what's going on. These sailors were probably colder than ever, their teeth, teeth chattering and feared their lives. And so they took it upon themselves to find out why is this happening to us? What's going on? So they get together and they decide to investigate everybody on board to see who's the cause of all of this. To see who's the wrongdoer that's causing all of these dangerous problems. And it was their last resort to save their lives as well as the ship. And they found out mostly what the problem was because God Almighty was in control of everything that was going on. As He always is. He's always in control of everything that's going on. Look at verse 8. Then they said to Jonah, please tell us, for whose cause is this trouble upon us? What is your occupation? And where do you come from? What is your country? And of what people are you? So after the lot fell on Jonah, the sailors began to question Jonah. And the questions that Jonah was asked, you know, is kind of like a courtroom trial here. Now, casting lots is... How in those days they made a uh, they, they made a chance decision by lots. They either you know like maybe drew straws or they they threw uh, threw down uh, pebbles and and again uh, based on this uh, method they would you know make decisions as to what to do. But notice in verse eight the first question they asked Jonah was for whose cause is this problem or is this trouble upon us? So the interrogators wanted to know exactly what the crime was that Jonah committed. All right? Who's, who's at fault for what's going on here? What have you done, Jonah, to cause what's happening? Well, Jonah's answer to this question told them that the particular crime, they, 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 he told them the particular crime that was causing all the trouble. Now look at the second question in verse 8. Jonah, what was your occupation? Now, this question has to do with Jonah's character. Even though Jonah had an honorable profession as a prophet of God, you're right, having to confess his calling, though, you know, when they asked, you know, what do you do? What's your occupation? You know, it wasn't a comfortable thing to do under the circumstances. You see, the fact that the sailors had to ask him what he did for a living was embarrassing. And it was a shameful thing for Jonah. Why? Because if, if he had been living right, they wouldn't have had to ask him. 
they would have known what he was. But Jonah's behavior didn't give them any positive indication that he was a prophet of God. And how sad that is. But how many Christians give that same sad example? Nobody should have to ask a Christian if he's a Christian. Especially when the believer is involved in some major crisis. Christianity should really be obvious. We should stand out in a crisis. We shouldn't be falling apart like everybody else. We should be helping. We should be encouraging. We should be, you know, comforting people. But Jonah didn't do that. They didn't, you know, Jonah, he, he didn't stand out. He didn't encourage, he didn't help what the sailors were experiencing. The believers should be ready to help physically or phys- Spiritually. How can we help spiritually? Praying. Praying for people. Now here we see Jonah's example in this crisis on the ship. And if you're familiar with Paul's example on the ship to Malta, what a difference. Let me read to you again Paul's example in Acts chapter 27, verses 20 through 26. Listen to what it says. The terrible storm raged for many days, blotting out the sun and the stars until at last all hope was gone. No one had eaten for a long time. Finally, Paul called the crew together and said, men. Now notice Paul called the crew together here. It was the crew that called the men together to talk about Jonah. But it says Paul called the the crew together and said, men, you should have listened to me in the first place and not left Crete. You would have avoided all this damage and loss, but take courage. Notice the encouragement. None of you will lose your lives, even though the ship will go down. Because last night an angel stood beside me and he said, Do not be afraid, Paul, because you will surely stand trial before Caesar. What's more, God in his goodness has granted safety to everyone sailing with you. So take courage, because I believe God. It will be just as he said, but we will be shipwrecked on an island. Look at the difference in in Paul's counsel and in Paul's uh, demeanor, his attitude during the crisis that they were on in the ship compared to Jonah. But unfortunately, when somebody is disobedient, there's not a lot of evidence that shows which speaks of our calling as a child of God. A non-praying person like Jonah was in this situation. He was a non-praying person. It doesn't show his calling as a prophet of God. Then the third question we see, notice in verse 8. This third question uh, that Jonah was asked, it also dealt with character. They asked him, and where do you come from, Jonah? Tell us. Tell us what you've been up to lately. Now this question is asking about Jonah's behavior. The question, where do you come from, deals with behavior which is supported by other scriptures. For example, like the time that Elisha asked Gehazi the same question. Elijah had healed Naaman. Naaman offered Elisha some, some silver, you know, in, in thanks and appreciation for being healed. But Elisha denied it. He said, no, I, I, I won't take it. But Gehazi... He said, man, I'm going to take advantage of this. So he snuck off without Elisha knowing. And he went and found 
Naaman and said, hey, you know what? I'll take some clothing and I'll take some of these goodies that you wanted to give Naaman. And so, or, or Elisha. So when he comes back, Elisha asked Gehazi the same question that Jonah was asked by these men. When he had come back from this secret meeting with Naaman to get some of the clothes and silver, uh, because Na- uh, Naaman had just been healed, he asked them, where did you come from? Where did you go? Because getting, getting these things from Naaman was going against Elisha's orders because he told Naaman, we don't, we don't want anything. But Gehazi ignored Elisha's orders. And when he had gotten back to Elisha from, again, his greedy trip to uh, uh, Elisha asked him about his behavior. He said, where did you go? This, this question simply means, what have you been doing lately, Gehazi? It's kind of like parents sometimes when we ask our kids, hey, where have you been? What we're really asking is, what have you been doing? The fourth question we see asked in verse 8. They ask, they ask John, what is your country? Now this question was to try to find out, find out what nation Jonah belongs to. What's his citizenship? Is Jonah from some nation that's notorious for evil behavior? Is he from a nation that's especially hostile to society? Because if he is, then it will say something about Jonah's character. And it will help to explain why the lot fell on Jonah as the wrongdoer. Because some nations are like individuals. They're perpetual troublemakers. Jonah didn't reflect his citizenship very well. Being a man of God and being of the kingdom of heaven. And then the fifth question also dealt with character. Notice in verse 8. Of what people are you, Jonah? In other words, what's your nationality? This question is to find out what nation is he from? What's his citizenship? Is Jonah from some nation that's notorious for evil behavior? Because, again, it might help to explain why this is all happening, why the lot fell on him, and why he did what he did. For example, one Bible commentary said this, So widely did immorality of Corinth become that... uh, I'm sorry, so widely did the immorality of Corinth become that the Greek verb to Corinthianize came to mean to practice sexual immorality. So, you know, just being from Corinth, they had that reputation of being, again, of practicing sexual immorality. But Jonah's nation was Israel. And God's intent for Israel was that they would be a blessing, not a problem to the world. And it's the same thing with the church of Jesus Christ. We should be a blessing to the world. That, was God's, that is God's intent. We shouldn't be a problem to the world. You know, again, just doing what God wants us to do. At the very beginning of Israel's history, when God called, called Abraham, God said to Abraham, you shall be a blessing, Abraham, and in you shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Israel's witness to God's holiness and their visible well-being because of their holy living before him would clearly show all of the people around them God's power and God's care for his people. That should have been their witness. Because they lived holy lives. You know, because they, 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 they obeyed God, lived holy lives. God took care of them. 
And, and their well-being that, that, that God showed in God taking care of them because they were holy living would clearly show God's power and how God took care of his people. So Jonah could give a good answer. He could have given a good answer about where he was from. But the way he behaved on the ship would make his answer hypocritical. And that would make him only more guilty because of where he was from. Instead of being a blessing to the men on the ship, Jonah was a curse to them. Instead of Jonah helping the men save the ship and leading the men in prayer, he'd been sleeping at the bottom of the ship. So Jonah's behavior surely did not reflect the intention that God had for Israel to be a blessing to the people. Not only that, but by Jonah refusing to go to Nineveh, he was keeping himself from being a blessing as well. Jonah only looked like a curse. He had a message that could deliver them, the people that is from God's judgment. I mean, what a message. There couldn't be a better message and any better blessing to any people. But instead, Jonah did not deliver the message. He takes off for Tarshish, refusing to give Nineveh this blessing. So he refused to let his life be a blessing to mankind. And a lot of Christians do the same thing Jonah did. They don't reflect their heavenly citizenship very well. Paul said in Philippians 3.20, we are citizens of heaven. Citizens of heaven. And our life should show that. But many times it doesn't. And then the fifth question had to do with who were Jonah's companions? Which says a lot about a person's character. And you've, we've all heard about, you know, the people that we hang out with. You know, we're, we're either guilty by association or, you know, we get praised because of the people that we hang out with. So the sailors wanted to know who Jonah's companions were because it would help them in determining whether Jonah was guilty or not. So they asked him, notice in verse 8, they asked him again the fifth question, and of what people are you? In other words, Jonah, what's your nationality? And the word people here can speak of his race, family, associates, or friends. So all in all, the sailors wanted to know, the, wanted to know those who, were, who Jonah fellowshiped with, who he socialized with, and who he kept company with. Because it says a lot about character. And then the sixth question, notice, is asked in verse 10. And this question that was asked uh, 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 deals with what caused him to disobey. In verse 10, he says, notice, why have you done this, Jonah? Why have you done this? So, why have you disobeyed God? This is one of those, now again, you know, when, when you're guilty of something and now you're on the spot and you have to answer for it. This is one of those piercing, uncomfortable questions. Why did you do it? And it cuts to the heart. And it forces you to come up with a convincing reason for what you did wrong. Jonah, why did you disobey God? Why did you flee from the presence of God and not go to Nineveh like God commanded? What, what do you say? What do you say? Answering this question is important to find out whether what was done was evil or not. What was Jonah's motivation for doing what he did? 
You see, everything that we do, every action will be characterized by the reason behind why we did it. It, What's the motivation? Why did we do that? And that's what's going to happen at the the judgment seat of Christ. Our, Our motivation for what we did as a Christian is going to be judged. Did we do it to get the glory of man? Or did we do it to to glorify God? Jonah had run away from God. The sailors wanted to know why. Jonah, why did you do this? They need to know the answer before they can evaluate what they were going to do because of Jonah's actions, before they they evaluated the punishment. It's not recorded that uh, that Jonah told the sailors why he ran away from God. But as we mentioned already in chapter 4-2, Jonah said, I ran away to Tarshish because I knew that you're a merciful and compassionate God, slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. So Jonah had a couple of reasons for what he did. Though they weren't good reasons, they weren't excusable reasons by any means. First, he was being selfish. He didn't want Nineveh to be spared. Why? Because they were Israel's enemies. Jonah was well aware of God's grace in his own ministry to Israel. So he felt, you know what? He he suspected that if he preached in Nineveh the message of repentance, they would probably repent and God would probably forgive them and God would probably spare the judgment. Now, grace, as far as, as Jonah was, hey, it's fine for Israel. You know, we'll take all the grace that we can get. Because Israel was Jonah's nation. But grace for for Israel's hated enemy, Nineveh, no way. And that was more than Jonah could handle. Jonah couldn't accept that God would, would, would give them grace, Israel's enemy. And the second reason for Jonah's action was driven by pride. Now, you know, to, to, to say something... And then to see it happen, just as we said it would, we all love to say, I told you so, just like we just read from Paul. I told you you shouldn't have left Crete. We would would have avoided all of this problem. But when we say something's going to happen and it happens, we just, hey, I told you it was going to happen. So as the storm raged on, like, like with Paul to Malta, Remember, the crew got together, they had that meeting, and he said, men, you should have listened to me. You should have listened to me. On the other hand, though, to make a prediction, and it doesn't come to pass, that's embarrassing. And that's the situation that Jonah faced with his call to go to Nineveh. You see, he was going to Nineveh to predict judgment, and that Nineveh would be destroyed in 40 days. But his prediction wouldn't come to pass because of repentance. And that would be embarrassing for Jonah. So Jonah's two reasons for not going to Nineveh are still taking place today. Selfishness and pride are still the driving forces for not obeying the call of God. And then the next question, the last question, is asked in verse 11. Notice, what shall we do to you that, you, that the sea may be calm for us. So the, seven, the last question you're asked, uh, that's asked of Jonah, it deals with what the sailors now should do with Jonah. Because figuring out what to do with the wrongdoer 
is very important. Because it's to stop the wrongdoer from doing more wrong and hurt to himself, as well as to protect others from more harm than the wrongdoer has already done. And and this is a good example for our courts today to follow. You know, it's to figure out what do we do now with this person who has done this crime, who committed this crime. And then to base the punishment on the severity of the crime. But we don't see that happening today. We see people let out of jail the next day for crimes. And then they go out and commit another crime. And that's why the violence has risen so much. You know, this example here lays down basic principles to be followed when wrongdoers are sentenced. And the wrongdoer's evil has to be stopped and society has to be protected. Sometime after the interrogation of Jonah by the sailors, and and we're not told exactly when that was, but Jonah disclosed a serious wrong to them. And he had a shameful and embarrassing experience in all of this. The serious wrong that Jonah committed was fleeing from the presence of the Lord. How embarrassing. The embarrassing experience was having to admit this in front of all of these pagan sailors. Pagan sailors. I mean, it had to be, it, it, it had to be a serious wrong. You know, because it had upset God so much that, that he caused a very uh, uh, severe storm on the sea. And, 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 you know, when I think about Jonah, and he had to confess this terrible thing that he did, you know, he disclosed what he had done wrong. It was, it was a shameful and embarrassing experience. I remember my early days as a Christian and, and, and at my old job. I can remember sharing the Lord. I was growing in the Lord and I was, you know, sharing the Lord and I was young in the Lord. And I remember one individual in particular. And he was so, I guess you could say, anti-Christian and God and the Bible. And I remember when Kathy and I separated And when he found out, and, and make a long story short, he did come to the Lord and was an awesome Christian. But he, told, he used to tell me, he says, yeah, when I heard about you and Kathy splitting him, I said, yeah, there's another Christian for you. And, and I just was so embarrassed, you know. But that's the thing that Jonah had to be going through here. To confess this terrible thing that he did in front of these pagan sailors. Again, the serious wrong was his fleeing from the presence of the Lord. And then this embarrassing experience of having to admit this in front of all of these pagan sailors. The sailors came to the conclusion that whatever Jonah did, man, it had to be bad. For God to send such a severe storm. And what Jonah did was a very serious crime, if you will, spiritual crime. Very serious wrongdoing. Because it was against God, first of all, and it was against man. Jonah greatly dishonored God by ignoring his will and he has been very cruel to the Ninevites by not going to the Ninevites to warn them about the judgment of God. 
So the two wrongs are connected because when you don't honor God, you will be a danger to yourself and a danger to man. And many professing Christians in our churches do what Jonah did. They refuse to do the will of God and habitually walk in disobedience in many areas of their lives. Plus, they refuse to warn others about judgment by refusing to either tell people about the gospel or by refusing to give properly to help those who are telling others about the gospel. Serious wrongdoing brings serious judgment. So may, as Christians, we be forewarned. Now think of it again. What an embarrassing and shameful thing for Jonah to have to confess to a bunch of pagan sailors that he, being a Hebrew, a prophet of God from the land of Israel, was guilty of such evil behavior. Jonah had already been through a humiliating experience by being rebuked, remember, by the captain of the ship for not praying. Now he has to confess to pagan sailors the terrible things that he's done. You see, sin truly humbles one. It humbles and shames the sinner no matter who it is. Now, a lot of people think it's embarrassing to live according to the standards of the Bible. They'd rather act and dress and talk and do as the world does because they don't want the world to mock them or ridicule them because it's too humiliating. But that ridicule and that humiliation for living righteously is nothing compared to the humiliation when you you behave contrary to the will of God. In verse 9, when Jonah said, I am a Hebrew, it told the sailors who his country and people were. Because it spoke about his great advantage in life. I mean, Paul had a great advantage being a Hebrew, being of Israel, being a prophet of God. He told the sailors again who he was, where he was from, because it spoke about his great advantage of life. An advantage that should have produced better behavior in Jonah on that ship. It should have produced better behavior, you know, than what he was living, than what he was witnessing or what they were witnessing. Being a Hebrew, man, it was under the special blessing of God. Listen to 1 Peter 2.9. Peter said, but you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people. Listen to Paul in Romans 2, 28 through chapter 3, verse 1 and 2. Paul said, for you are not a true Jew just because you were born of Jewish parents or because you have gone through the ceremony of circumcision. No, a true Jew is one whose heart is right with God. And true circumcision is not merely obeying the letter of the law, rather it is a change of heart produced by God's Spirit. And a person with a changed heart seeks praise from God and not from people. Then what's the advantage of being a Jew? Is there any value in the ceremony of circumcision? Paul said, yes, there are great benefits to being a Jew. First of all, the Jews were entrusted with the whole revelation of God. Man, the Jews were entrusted with the word of God. What's the advantage of being a Jew? God gave us his word, Paul says. That's the great advantage. There was absolutely a distinction between the Jew and the non-Jew. And God himself had made that distinction from the moment that he called Abraham. 
And they were God's chosen people. They had the benefits of that relationship. Paul couldn't stand up and say that there was no difference. Because there always was and always had been. So if the life of the heart is more important than the circumcision of the flesh, what has the choice of the Jew as a nation really amounted to anyway? But the very command of God that they had held themselves in place of superiority to other men, less favored. God himself said that, laid down the rules concerning prayer to himself in the Old Testament times. Jews could approach God. No other member of the human race could do that without first changing their human nationality. Remember Ruth the Moabitess? She had to say, your people shall be my people before she could say, and your God, my God. Naaman, the Syrian, 2 Kings 5.17. Naaman, the Syrian, became a Jew in order to pray acceptably. Naaman took back to Syria two mules loaded with earth. This was after he saw, when, when Naaman was healed by Elisha. He became a Jew in order to pray acceptably. And he took, he took back to Syria two mules loaded with earth in order that he might spread that earth out in his house and step on it when he prayed. Because from now on, he says, I will not offer sacrifices or burnt offerings to any God except the Lord. The reason he took back those two mule uh, loads full of, 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 of earth and spread it out on his floor of his house because Naaman was now stepping on the soil of Palestine and claiming access to God on the ground of God's promise. In the book of Esther, we have the record that when Haman was hanged, the Jews instituted the Feast of Purim, celebrating that occasion, and that many of the people of the land became Jews. So yes, there was a great advantage in being a Jew. Paul said much and in every way. Not just a single point was there an advantage, but in every way, Paul said. And so for, for Jonah, who was a Jew, and, and you know, uh, from Israel and a, and a prophet, all of this should have produced a better example of character in Jonah on that ship. In front of all of those people. But Jonah's behavior was the worst on the ship. These pagan sailors, they came from other nations. They didn't have the great spiritual advantages that Jonah, that Jonah had, that Jonah enjoyed. And yet they behaved so much more noble and honorable in this emergency than Jonah did. Today, think of the believer, of, of all people, not just believers, all people. How many of us today enjoy great spiritual advantages that no other age ever had or probably could have ever imagined? I mean, we can buy the Bible today for, for a small price. We have access to so many good books, CDs, conferences. We have more to help us grow in the grace and the knowledge of God than at any other time before. We have the internet. We have a tremendous advantage for spiritual things and yet how poor our stewardship is. And how ignorant many are 
about the knowledge of God. About spiritual things. Compared to those of the past who had none of these advantages. Jonah was a Hebrew, but definitely not using his advantages. The pagans on board, the pagans on, on board that ship, they were showing more sense and more honor than Jonah. Jonah even spoke about his faithfulness to God in verse 9. Notice what he says in verse 9. He says, I fear the Lord. Look at that. I fear the Lord, the God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. The word fear here indicates the kind of respect that produces faithfulness in devotion and service, of which Jonah was not exhibiting. He's saying he's not friends of idolaters, but of those people who worship the one true God. He identifies himself with a certain people by indicating his loyalty to God who created the heaven and the earth. We also identify with a denomination or a group by confessing that we adhere to some significant creed or or doctrine or statement of faith. What Jonah said, like in his previous answers to the questions he was asked, is also very self-incriminating. It shows how inconsistent Jonah was. So he says he fears the one who made heaven and earth. But does he really? Do we really fear God? Because he definitely hasn't shown it on this voyage, nor in his fleeing from the presence of God in disobedience about going to Nineveh. If his people are worshipers of the one true God, then why is he spending so much time, or this time here, with pagan sailors? This answer will not help to establish that all-important good character testimony that he needs to help defend himself against these charges of evil. Jonah's statement has some good doctrine in it about God. He said, I fear the Lord. Okay, that's good doctrine. The God of heaven. Yeah, that's good doctrine. The God who made the sea and made the dry land. That's all good doctrine. That's good theology. And a lot of people have good doctrine. They have good theology. They have honorable doctrine. Jonah knew good doctrine. But like a lot of people, it's only words. It's only words. Jonah knew good doctrine. But it wasn't a way of life to Jonah at this time. Now we need good doctrine. Doctrinal doctrinal statements, they're important. A lot of people have them. But many times these statements and confessions of faith only turn out to be empty words. Just words. Because they're not incorporated into the people's walk. We need to have good doctrine. But we also need to have a walk that validates our doctrine. That says we're people of God. A doctrine that, that, that if it's going to be meaningful, man, it has, to be, it, it has to be holy. We have to have, we have to walk a walk that validates our doctrine if it's going to mean something. Our words and our works must match. Jonah said something very meaningful about God. 
But his actions on that ship said something totally different than what his words said. And his behavior spoke louder than his words. And they convicted him of his sin. So now Jonah was ready for his judgment for his sin. Because this shows that, this shows that he was now really repentant. If a person isn't willing to accept the just punishment that they deserve, then they're not really repentant. Though they might say they are. And you know what? It's the same with salvation. You'll never get saved without true repentance. And true repentance involves accepting the fact that your sin justly demands your eternal judgment in hell. Acceptance of that fact is necessary before you'll ever feel the need to receive Jesus Christ for deliverance from your sins and condemnation. Jonah's confession, which showed his willingness to take his due punishment, showed a heart that was filled with true repentance. And that will explain why God could and did use Jonah again in his service. Thank Thank God that he gives us second chances, third chances, fourth chances. Remember in, chapter, uh, in John chapter 21, after the resurrection, Jesus met his disciples on the shores of Galilee. But Peter was the one that Jesus focused on. And he asked Peter three times, maybe because Jesus, because he denied Jesus three times. Peter, do you love me? He asked Peter that three times. Peter, do you love me? And Peter said three times, yes, Lord. Then Jesus said, then feed my lambs, Peter. Take care of my, and take care of my sheep and follow me. You see, Peter was restored to service because he was truly repentant. Jonah showed that his attitude about doing God's will was going through a, that it showed, his attitude showed that he was going through a, a great and needed change in his life. He was now surrendering totally to God, even to the point of giving his life if he needed to do the will of God, which we'll see later. He said, hey, throw me overboard. Jonah's willingness here to do God's will reminds us of what Jesus did in order to do the will of the Father. Paul said in Philippians 2.8 that he, Jesus, became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Now, people hear us talk like that. They're, hey, man, you know, I'd die for Jesus if I had him. They, they, they would say, man, your dedication is, is extreme. It's fanatical. But you know what? Anything less is unacceptable to God. Tertullian, one of the early church fathers, he understood this truth. When he spoke against believers who were working in idol factories, you know, making idols, they argued with him by saying, we have to live. Tertullian said, do you? Do you? The answer is no. We don't have to live. But we do have to do the will of God. And when Christians get this truth in their hearts, it will greatly improve their commitment to living for God. So by throwing Jonah into the sea, it would become calm again. And the sailors would be out of danger. And this discussion between Jonah and the sailors put fear in the sailors' hearts. 
Verse 10 says the men were exceedingly afraid. Now, not all fear is for good reasons. But the sailors' fear, hey, it was the fear of God because of the great storm. Jonah's God was somebody to truly be afraid of, but for the right reasons. And then the sailors had one more reason for their terrible fear. They were thinking, man, if if God would do this to one of his own, (laughs) if God would, would make his own people suffer for their sin like Jonah did, what will happen to the ungodly? Peter said, if the righteous are barely saved, what will happen to godless sinners? 1 Peter 4.18 The answer is clear. If God's people suffer like this for their sin, then the ungodly are really going to suffer big time for their sin. It's not a comforting thought for the ungodly. And that's what will cause exceedingly great fear, even in the toughest of men. But it can also cause men to cry out to God for salvation, which is the smartest thing any man can ever do. In closing, people may prefer a more pleasant message than exceedingly afraid. But you see, if you leave this message out, you'll never find out what the more pleasant message is. For God so loved the world. That he gave his only begotten son. That whoever uh, believes in him should not perish. But have everlasting life. Which is again the message of salvation. What it's all about. Father we thank you once again for. Father this great little book. And father this particular story here. And when I say story I, I never mean fairy tale. It's this narrative, this story, this record here of Jonah's fleeing from your presence, Lord. Because it teaches us great things, Lord, a great many things, Father. And what a sinful thing it is to obey, to disobey your words, Lord. To disobey your will. To run away from your presence, Father. Now, they help us to do right, to be right. And the way we do that is through your word, staying in your word, through prayer, through fellowship, through the resources that you've given us, God. So Lord, help us to be what you've called us to be. Help us to do what you've called us to do, Father. And let us not follow Jonah's path in this instance here, God. Let us make that commitment to you as as we, again, uh, when we had communion this morning, God. That covenant that we made with you, Lord, and you with us. Father, that we would obey you, that we would do your will, God. And that, God, you would watch over us and you would protect us, Lord. May that be our covenant with you today and always. For your glory and for our good. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.